This is day 17 of our daily Bible reading. We will be reading Exodus chapters 15 through 18 and Psalm chapter 17. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability to come to your book, to your holy word, and to be refreshed today. As we read your word, help us come to the realization that you are speaking directly to us through this Holy Scripture. This is a living, breathing document that is straight from your mouth. It is from your very breath that you wrote this. And this is the only means of our salvation and to know who you are. Help us to understand how serious this activity is, and may we gain greater understanding through our time today. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them like chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the hearts of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. And the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless like stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom ye have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh 
with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Then they sent out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, 
Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall have meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much, and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Each man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like 
coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omerful of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout all generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Then all of the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out. Fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Then his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, 
that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn, The Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom. For Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was camped, at the Mount of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws 
and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell and he went his way into his own land. Psalm 17, A Prayer of David Hear a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouth, they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Okay. Let's examine the scripture a little more closely today to see what we have read. Chapter 15 
is a song that was sung by Moses and the people after they had finished crossing the Red Sea. And it is a very beautiful prayer. It talks about the truth of who God is, the glory that he demonstrated in the land of Egypt, and just how mighty and powerful he is. There has been no other God in history that has demonstrated any sort of manifestation like this. And so he recognizes that, and he gives God the credit where it's deserved. Moses is still learning, but you can tell by the way that he's carrying himself and how he is attributing all these different things to God. He has come a long way from being a cowardly man hiding in the desert from the Pharaoh of Egypt. And now, after he had his encounter with God with the burning bush, slowly but surely, he is learning who God is, and he has complete confidence in him at this point. We saw from the very first interaction that Moses had with God that he was afraid, and he doubted, and he was not sure of how things were going to work out. You see some of it carry on to when he returned to Egypt, and he was distressed when he didn't see anything good coming out of his ministry. And that's something that we can think about as well on a personal level, when you're expecting certain results from your ministry, but it doesn't work out the way you thought. It doesn't mean you failed. It means God's doing something different. But not too long before this, we see that his heart was distressed when they reached the Red Sea, and they saw the Egyptians coming to march against them. He didn't say it flat out. He said the right things to the people around him. But when the Lord addressed his heart, he said, Why are you crying out to me? And God would only say that if Moses was within himself freaking out a little bit. But it seems that from this moment onward, that Moses is strong and faithful in who God is. He is not going to relent any longer. He is not going to doubt any longer. He is thoroughly convinced of who God is. He's ready to lead a million and a half people through the wilderness according to God's command. And what better way to start than with a celebration of the wonders of God and how he delivered a whole group of people out of a country, out of slavery. And this is the first time that we see Moses' sister, Miriam, mentioned by name here. She is the same girl who followed Moses while he was in the basket in the river. This is the same girl that went up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Hey, do you need somebody to nurse that baby? This is the same Miriam. And so you can tell she's a few years older than Moses. And it said that Aaron is three years older than Moses. So we can assume that Moses is the baby of the family. But this is also the first time that we see Miriam not only just mentioned by name, but that she is a prophetess. She is a female prophet. She is not unique in this role. There are other prophetesses throughout the Bible, but there are not many. So it's noteworthy to mention that she is a prophetess. But unfortunately, the celebrating does not last long. And we begin a cycle of complaints that the people of Israel are going to be giving to the Lord. And especially to me, this is one of the ways I remember the Exodus. 
not only in what God did in rescuing the people and all the wonders he did with them in the wilderness, but the greatest achievement that the nation of Israel itself did while in the wilderness is gain a terrible reputation for complaining. They were always dissatisfied with something. They're always griping about something. And it is so irritating to look at. But we have to remember something that's very important. We are no better than them. I highly doubt that anyone listening to this has been through anything like what the Israelites went through. Living a life of slavery, uprooting from your country and going somewhere else, relying on a supernatural deity with his physically manifested miracles. We don't see any of that today. We don't see any of that today, and yet we convince ourselves that we have more faith than the Israelites do. And yet, I think if we were truly honest with ourselves, that's not completely true. If we looked at our day-to-day lives, I think there will be holes in that theory. Do not look at the dissatisfaction of the people of Israel and just be angry with them. Because this is in the Bible for a reason. This is an illustration of the human condition. The Israelites are taken into the story as a sampling that represents all mankind. It's really sad to see, too. That's why we should have little to no faith in ourselves, and we should not rely on our own understandings because of the way that humanity is. They were walking through the Red Sea on dry ground, seeing walls of water on both sides of them. They saw all those plagues. They're looking at a cyclone of fire by night and a cloud over the day to protect them from the sun. You see that every single day without fail, and yet you still don't believe in God. How forgetful these people are, how much they took God for granted. And yet, we are no different than them. I have seen miracles in my life. I am alive today because of miracles. There are times in my life where I should have died. There are times where I did a lot of stupid things, including drunk driving, for example, and I woke up with the keys in my lap, inches away from being killed. And I didn't do that on my own. I have been saved so many times. But perhaps the greatest miracle that occurred in my life is my salvation. Causing the dead to come to life through the quickening of God's word is the greatest miracle today. Don't you ever say that miracles don't happen today, because that is a lie. God is active, and he wants us to believe in him. And yet, many times, because of our unbelief, he does not do amazing things. Not because he can't, but because he won't. So don't be too upset with the people of Israel, but definitely learn from their mistakes. Their biggest mistake is, despite all the evidence of who God was, that they complained, they griped, they were dissatisfied, and they did not obey. 
And that is the greatest thing to learn from this. Obedience is what God requires from us. We cannot compromise that. We cannot say that it's optional. If you are a true follower of God, he expects obedience. So we see in chapter 15 that the first complaint they have is when they went to a place called Mara. And they called it Mara because that's what Mara means in Hebrew. It means bitter. And so they went to this water, they drank the water, and it tasted terrible. And they were complaining, Lord, we have no water. You're not going to take care of us. You're going to have us die in this wilderness. So Moses asked God, what do you want us to do? And he said, put this tree in the water and it will become sweet. And sure enough, it did. What he's trying to teach us through this is that obedience brings about blessings. Disobedience brings about consequences. And so far, God has been patient with the people of Israel. And there will be a time coming soon where God is not going to be patient with them, not because he's exhausted of patience, but because he insists on doing action to correct a behavior. And it's going to test the people of Israel. So we have the waters at Mara as the first complaint. Then the second complaint is about how hungry they are. And so what God does is an amazing thing. He not only satisfies their hunger, but he gives them bread out of heaven. He causes it to where a layer of dew will come across the ground. And that dew is not just regular dew. It is actually this white, fluffy, delicious tasting stuff called manna. Do you know what manna means in Hebrew? It literally means, what is it? That's why when it says in verse 15 in chapter 16, when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's what manna means. It means what? As if to say, the what's its name? It's kind of like if we were to try to remember the name of something and we're like, yeah, you know, it's that what's its name? Or, you know, it's that thing. That's basically what it's saying in the original Hebrew. That, that manna stuff. So that's what they called it moving forward because they couldn't really describe what it was. And so they just called it manna. What is it? And so it really just changes things when you understand it from the Hebrew. But God gives them the statute to collect only what they need and nothing more, nothing less. And if they get too much, then worms will breed from it and it'll rot the next day with the exception of the Sabbath day which for the Jewish people was Saturday. They would gather twice as much on Friday because Saturday was supposed to be a day of no work. The idea that you had a day off like that was not instituted in the world at this time. But God understood the needs of mankind. He understood that because he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but he did it for the sake of man, he understands the limitations of man, that man needs to properly rest in order to repair the body, in order to recharge for the next week, to prevent illness, to prevent premature death. It's all for a reason, even scientifically. And they would not have understood that in the day. And so God instituted a Sabbath. 
but even more than just the physical rest. We're also supposed to rest on God. And that was the whole point of the Sabbath as well, is to stop and reflect on God. And I hope when we have our Sabbath, which is Sunday for us, I hope that we are reflecting on God in those times. Not just going to church, going through the motions, but actually considering what God has done and giving him the glory for it. But anyway, Israel was given the command to gather manna, only what they needed, and the amount that they needed was an omer each. An omer today is the equivalent of about two quarts in weight. Although it's not clear if the omer meant the same thing then as it does today in parts of the world, but that's what we assume. And so you're talking about almost two pounds of bread that was gathered in the field in the morning for one and a half million people. That's a lot of dew on the ground. The taste of manna was described as being like coriander seed and was white and it tasted like wafers with honey. That sounds delicious. And keep this description in mind because later on we're going to revisit what the Israelites think about manna and they're not going to have good feedback about it. They're going to complain about the manna too, even though that sounds absolutely delicious. And it reminds me of something that I usually say in the workplace, is that you can't make everybody happy. People that are miserable will just always be miserable. There are people who just want to complain. And it's just really sad because God is doing this for them and they don't appreciate it. Then we come to chapter 17 and we have the third complaint. The third complaint is that they have no water now. And so what God does is command Moses to go to a certain rock and hit it and cause water to gush out from there. And so they named the place Masa and Meribah. The reason why God is having Moses use the staff is because of what the people are seeing through it. It was the staff that caused the Red Sea to part. But it wasn't the staff itself, right? The staff is an object that represents God's power. And so any time that the staff is involved, the people symbolically understand that this is God's power at play, or at least they should. But shortly after Moses caused the water to come out of the rock, then we have the tribe of Amalek. If you remember this name, this is from the genealogy of Esau. Esau had a grandson who was named Amalek. And so apparently he developed into his own tribe, and they attacked Israel when they were at a weak point. So it's recorded for us as being a cowardly move on their part, as well as just so savage and ruthless. They assaulted Israel from the rear and assaulted the stragglers, kind of like how a lion will chase a herd of zebra, but they go for the weak or the little ones and pick them off. That's how Amalek treated Israel, and God was angry about it. And so what he had Moses do was stand up on a hill overseeing the battle and to have him raise his staff into the air. 
And as long as his arms were up, Israel would win. But as soon as his arms came down, they would start losing. And so he got these two guys, Aaron and Hur, to help him hold his arms up so that they would continue to win. This is also, in verse 9, the first mention of Joshua, who is going to play a significant role in Israel's history after Moses dies. Now, as for the identity of Hur, we're not really sure who he is, but Jewish tradition states that he was the husband of Miriam, Moses' sister. We don't know that for sure, and he's only mentioned here. This is just speculation at this point. So at the conclusion of the battle, Israel wins, and God makes a command. And this is going to come into effect later as well, where it says that for all generations, God will be at war against Amalek. That is going to pass from generation to generation in Jewish tradition and history. And some of the people in the future are going to act upon this command, especially King David. And then we see another name that is given to God, Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And by banner, we mean in military terms as being a rallying point. God is the one that we rally to in times of trouble. Then we have Jethro appear in the story again, and he's reunited with Moses, and Moses gets to see his family that he has been separated from, so it's a joyous event. But Jethro gives some very sage advice to Moses. Moses kind of reminds me of myself in the aspect of how he manages the people. He was the kind of guy who tried to take all of it on himself whether he thought that he alone had the burden or that no one could do it as good as he did. It reminds me of me because I was that way as a leader at first. I've done a lot of growing in that regard over the years, but Moses is going to get some really good advice from his father-in-law of how to manage the people better. You need to learn how to delegate. That is important in the workplace and in a biblical sense. You need to delegate. So Moses, you need to find people you can trust that can handle the burden for the easier stuff, for the simpler things, for the day-to-day problems. But when it comes to the challenging things and the theological issues, yes, you need to be the point of contact. But let the governors, let the supervisors handle all this stuff. And Moses did it, and his life got a lot easier after this. So... Thank goodness for father-in-laws with good advice. Psalm chapter 17 is another lament of David's in which he's presenting his credentials of uprightness. And I want to stop for a second and give a warning. We need to be careful not to have an overtly holy nature, but inwardly we are dead or empty. That defines the majority of the modern-day church. There are a lot of people who are in church today that are not saved, and they think they are, or they are with the appearance of holiness, but they don't have the Spirit within them. And so we need to be careful that if we describe ourselves in the way that David describes himself, and it's not true, then we are arrogant, we are prideful. 
But in this case, what he is doing is he's presenting a defense to God. He is giving his credentials to God to show that, Lord, see, this is who I am. You know me, Lord. You know that I'm faithful to you. You know that I love you. You know that I have integrity. Help me. Please protect me. I qualify for your welfare plan, Lord. Please help me in this time of need. And so what he does is he petitions to the Lord for protection from these wicked men that are still messing with him. And he looks towards the future. He maintains his hope in the Lord and everything that God has promised and everything that has been revealed to him in his life. And he rests in confidence that God has things under control. A lot of his psalms are likely to be prayers, but this is one of the few that are designated as being a prayer. Now, for our scripture to memorize for today, it's going to be Psalm chapter 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In this generation, we may not know what the apple of the eye means, because it wasn't very used in my generation either. Even though I've heard of it, I know what it means. But to call something the apple of your eye is to give it a designation of being your most dearest thing, a very precious thing in your sight. And so, for example, the apple of my eye would be my wife and my children. They are the apple of my eye. And so David here is asking God to keep him as the apple of his eye. And God indeed calls his children the apple of his eye. He loves us with an everlasting love. We are always, no matter how good or bad we are, the apple of his eye. And that should bring us comfort today. And as the Psalms typically do, they assign a lot of anthropomorphic language to God. God doesn't have a body, so he doesn't have wings. But what it does is draw an illustration of the nature of God's protection toward us. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. So what I imagine is myself standing somewhere, and a giant bird lands next to me, and its giant wing covers me from the sun beating down on me. And that's the kind of illustration of what David is saying here. He's saying that, Lord, come before me and cover me with your wings. Be my protector. Keep me safe and secure from all harm. And that's the way we should understand it as well. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.